0: Welcome to Parenting in a podcast brought to you by Woman's Foundation. Our
1: goal is to provide you with quality information from local experts to support you in your parenting journey. Thank you so much, Sonia, for joining us and on our podcast. We just thank you for coming in and being willing to share these wonderful resources with us.
0: Well, I'm glad to be here today, Chantel. I'm happy to uh, try and help as much as I can.
1: Okay, great. Now, tell us more about your background.
0: Okay, um, I've been teaching almost 30 years. I have um, a degree in uh, English and social studies education. I'm a high school teacher, really, originally, and... Um, After a few years of teaching in public school, I got out to um, spend more time with my children. And then I got back in part-time at a private school, St. Cecilia in Broussard. I became soon um, the reading ELA teacher in sixth through eighth grade, so dealing with middle schoolers, something I never thought I'd want to do. And I really enjoyed it. I was there a long time. And about, I don't know, eight years ago, they had an opening for librarian. So now I work with fourth I mean, four-year-olds through 14-year-olds. Oh, wow. And so I kind of get to see everybody Uh in the whole school and kind of focus on reading. I also teach a study skills class there, and that's something we felt like in our curriculum it was lacking, and so we added that in, and um, they tapped me, and so that's what I do. I meet with those kids once a week. I'm kind of like a liaison between them and their junior high teachers as they transition from elementary school into
1: middle school. That's perfect. And I'm so glad that you have that background because what we want to talk about today is study skills. The season, you know, here we are, we're back in school, parents are juggling work, they're juggling family, and sometimes sitting down to do the homework, sometimes we get a little frustrated with the kids. So talk a little bit about how can we help our our kids become better students?
0: Well, I'm going to say, first of all, that probably when I meet with my parents at the beginning of the year, one of the things I try to focus on the most is parent expectations. Um, I feel like if you're not in the business, if you're not in school, working with middle schoolers every day, because they are a whole different animal, right, from your ten nine year old Mm -hmm. um, They have a lot on their plate coming in. That parent expectations sometimes are not as realistic as they were potentially in elementary school, because there's so much that changes. Mm -hmm. So you're going from, you know, you have kids who are having one or two teachers a day, not counting their enrichments. They have extended class time. If the teacher needs another 15 minutes to explain the math problem, you're with her for half a day, so that's fine. But when you hit that middle school, um, sixth through eighth grade, you see a big shift, right? Um, From from things like uh, multiple classes, time-restricted classes, Uh, more social opportunities for kids, so less time at home, puberty. I mean, that's a monster all on its own right there Poor things. And so um, tougher academic requirements, the need to pass certain um, end-of-course or uh, state testing. All those things come into play in middle school, so it's a – big transition period. And we saw in our kids in particular, a lot of stress on parents and a lot of stress on students. And our academic performance wasn't what we wanted. So we instituted this um, SOAR program. It's called Strategic Learning Skills for Career and College Readiness. And the focus is really on soft skills. And I think we as adults overlook that because we just assume kids know but to be fair, how to construct an email you know, professionally well to an adult that you need to seek something from is not something that they're just born knowing. Like it's something they have to be taught, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, all those things tie into uh, parent expectations. And oftentimes I feel like the, the, um, the emphasis tends to be on grades when it probably should be on skill acquisition.
1: And right. how as a parent do we help them develop those skills? That's the question, huh? You know what?
0: They have to, in order to develop those skills, they have to struggle, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the struggle, I always say the struggle is real. And I see parents rolling their eyes in the back of the room like, it's not only real, it's absolutely necessary. Uh Because to become faster, stronger, better, right, we have to struggle through the progress. That's how we learn. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do have an older child, and I had this conversation with them today, and I said, you know what, not only is the struggle real, the struggle is necessary, because Mm -hmm. that's what turns you into, right, the young adult. It's through the struggle that we learn our strengths, our weaknesses, how to seek help, how to seek information. So your job, really, and um, as a parent, is to be there for your kid, right, to talk through the problems with your kid, to offer some opportunities or ideas for fixing those problems. But you can't be the fixer of all their problems, right? It's through fixing the problems that they gain confidence. And it's the same way when they learn to walk, right? They learn to walk, we held them by one two fingers, then one finger, and then they were walking and falling. And when they fell, we helped them and comforted them, but we couldn't walk for them. And so that really is the goal of a parent. You are the support
1: system, but you can't be the everything. Right. And what do you say to the parent that's probably like me? I want to just jump in and do it for him because sometimes I get impatient and I just want to do it for him because, you know, I want him to succeed. I want him to do well. But what do we do when we feel that anxiety on our own? Oh, I don't You know what? I am that
0: I was that parent with my first child. It's very difficult because wow, if you just would help him and do it for him, you can get to dinner faster, right? Yes, but you know what? I, I always have to take a step back and remind myself that it's in the process that they learn. Getting the right answer in math is great, but the process of getting the right answer is really the problem-solving skill that he's going to need for multiple occasions in his adult life right? We're hoping that he... Actually, failure is a good thing. We're hoping that there's some failure before you turn 18 and you hit your first wall, and then you're like, oh my, I don't know how to handle this. So the small failures um, lead us to be, one, better learners, learn more about about ourselves and our strengths, and where to seek help when you're um, at a loss. So you almost have to, like for myself, I have to just walk out of the room, be like, I'm going to give you five minutes, work on that, show me what you got when I come back, you know? And that's really how...
1: um, is best just take some time for yourself and what about getting our students organized because I know organization is huge especially when they're studying they're juggling all of these different classes how do we help them get organized or what are some practical steps well first of
0: all we sit down and we look at um, their classes generally we try to use what we call a binder system some kids use a, a multi-folder system like an expanding folder right? And that's their one item. Like their whole life is in that binder or in that expanding folder. It's all labeled and it's only the essentials. You have two or three sheets of paper in each section. You have a section of the binder that, you know, handouts go into, um, a section that, uh, of loose leaf, and then you have all your subjects in there. The good news is you have to bring one thing home every day. If you bring that one thing home every day, you got everything you need. The bad news is if you lose that, you lose your whole life right so
1: but it's easy to keep track of because it's one thing right right? and that eliminates them carrying and juggling all this paper and all their books and everything so and and no loose papers
0: in your book sack Mm -hmm. everything goes in that binder it doesn't have to go in the right place the first time you put it in but um, at the end of class if you have a couple minutes you should be putting stuff where it goes and you're heading to your next class because you have a very short amount of time to get to your next class that's a new thing right in middle school that we didn't have in elementary school we're trekking to some other place so and we have probably a our pee bag, our lunch. So we keep in track of that one binder or that one expanded folder, and that's it. How successful has it been? There's a lot of resistance to that, I will tell you. <laughs> really? To Stud- the, the oh, binder? Oh, yes. Students want, because, you know, they just want to, ex- at that age, they want to express themselves. They all want to use, somebody wants to use a notebook, somebody wants to use um, an expanded folder or a multiple binders. So to say to them, hey, this is your two options, it feels very limiting. Mm-hmm. Initially, right. I think for uh, parents it's a good thing, and over time students kind of fall into play with that. But um, having a child myself, you know, I want to decorate my six folders. You can't have six binders, for example. You don't have space in your backpack, and you don't. And many of our public schools don't even use lockers anymore, um, so you're carrying everything in your backpack, and you need to kind of downsize to that manageable item. Now you can't carry everything in the whole year, so. What we do is create a paper station, Mm -hmm. and it can be any box in your house. We do one in the classroom for them. And in the paper station, every two or three weeks, we go through the binder and take out all the materials that's old and already tested, and it goes into the paper station. So come the end of the semester, end-of-course tests or uh, midterm exams, all our work is in there, and our binder stays sleek
1: and slim and manageable. So that's something we as parents can have at home. Yes, So what do you recommend? Do you recommend us organizing it maybe in their room or in an office? or I guess any place that would be best where you know that it won't
0: get thrown away by accident. We do organize it by subject. When we take it out, we put it by subject in a manila folder, and they just keep it in a hanging folder. Mm -hmm. And so come December, you hand them the hanging folder and all your materials in there if you want to do a review for the midterm exam, for example. uh And what is staying organized do for the students and for the parents? Well, you know what? We talk about the price of being disorganized. It's like thousands of dollars for every couple of hours that you're disorganized in the day, through, in a year. So just for me as an adult, I look at that and I go, how many times have I not put stuff back right where it was? And then when I need it, I am running around wasting my precious minutes that I can't get home on time because I have to work later because I didn't, I can't find my materials. So we really try to focus on having a station where when you use something, you put it right back So that it's there when you need it, like you know, there's a place. You know that old saying your mom says, "It's a place for everything, and everything in its place." That's kind of like we just kind of, you know, drill that in, like put your stuff right back where it belongs, so you'll find it, and. Part of being organized, this is how I sell it to the kids, is if you have a parent that is constantly nagging you about, did you do your homework? What are your grades? Um, What did your teacher say? When you show them that binder and you say, look, this is my homework and it's done, then you have more opportunity to go play your video games, go outside and play basketball with your friends, go do whatever. Like It just frees up so much time for you as a student and you don't have mom or dad nagging on you. That's
1: right. And it seems like it would eliminate all of that anxiety yes. for the parent and the student. Yes.
0: And you know what we do use? I don't know um, if we do use a planner with our students. And uh, there's a lot of opposition initially because they're grown up, so they don't need a planner anymore. That's for little kids. But in that planner, they write down all of their um, just their test they do their daily homework, but I specifically check for any deadlines, any test or project deadlines again. And also we start to incorporate um, activities that they would do outside of school, dance, football practice, soccer practice, uh, mom's birthday dinner on a Wednesday. So, and on Sunday night, the goal is to look at that planner with mom or dad and say, hey, this is what my schedule looks like next week. And mom will say, I see you need a. You have a project due on Thursday. Do you need a poster board? Yes. Let's pick it up on Monday after work, not Wednesday night at 830 when they're coming to you and being like, hey, mom, by the way, I have a project tomorrow and I need a poster board. Yes. And everybody's <laughs> losing their minds in home. Right? Exactly. So we... we And mom initials on that planner or dad, whoever's in charge. And um, so that we all on the same page and we know what to expect. They know what mom's having this week. I know what they know what the student's having this week. And for kids in two-parent homes, that's like essential to getting everybody on the same page. Sometimes it's a phone call to the other house saying, hey, dad, I know you're picking me up on Wednesday. This is what I have going on, you know, practice. So keeping everybody together really
1: reduces a lot of stress on the student and on the parents. I know it does. That is an excellent idea. I love that idea. And do you, is it just a planner that they can go and buy? Or yes, it can be any planner. At Where we are, we all use the same planner
0: because we provide planners. However, you can pick up any planner, anything that you want to make a planner.
1: Okay, so it doesn't have to be a specific one. You can no. take anything and just use that. Right. That's awesome. So talk a little bit more about what else needs to be discussed in the Sunday morning, the Sunday night meetings, because that's an excellent idea. The Sunday night meetings really um, give you,
0: and it doesn't take long. I I try to reiterate this to parents too, that, you know what, that's the other thing besides being um, organized with your kid. The other uh, important point is to communicate with them. Like take 10 minutes to say, Hey, what's going on in your life? what's going on next week, so that we can eliminate surprises that can throw our family, right, and change the dynamic of the whole night. So communicating with the kid is so important. Even if you're busy, even if it's late at night, you need to know what's going on in their lives, because if you don't, somebody else is going to know. And that's going to be the key to keeping them coming to you. And you need to be the one that they seek out the answers from, right? Like, If you are open to that communication, they will come to you with all the questions, sometimes with too many questions, but all Mm -hmm. the questions, and otherwise they're going to go to somebody else with those questions, and you don't know what kind of answers they're getting. So communicating and staying organized with them is really very important, asking them what's going on in their lives. Those would probably be the two things I would tell parents that that they should emphasize the most.
1: Okay, and Sonia, I want to get back to the study skills. What are some good practical steps that parents can can use to help them become stronger students? What can they do if a child is struggling in a particular subject? Uh, how can we help them become more efficient? You know what, I, I feel, and I'm also a teacher,
0: so I guess maybe this influences my response. A lot of times when students are struggling, what I generally get is an email from a parent as opposed to a question from a student. And that's one of the things I discuss often with my class. Really, your mom is not in class right here trying to understand this math concept. You are. So what I need from you and what I what I try to do for my students with my own children is to send them like, if you have a problem, you you need to raise your hand and ask. You need to make an appointment. Like, come by my office and say, I need to see you about this grade or about this concept that I don't understand. So as a mom or a teacher, I'll say to a student, did you contact your teacher? Did you go out there and ask for some assistance? Because teachers really like that, right? They like the, an, a child who takes the initiative. And that's so important. Being um, a self-advocate for for your own person, for yourself going out there makes teachers think this kid really has it together. He's really concerned. He really has effort. When I get an email from mom, my general question is, did you discuss this with Tommy or whatever it is? Mm. Because he probably knows what his problem is and and I'll say, hey what's the problem? What's going on? Tell me what's happening and why you're not getting this? Mm -hmm. And um, Sometimes I'll get, I don't really know and I'm like, you need to know. Tell me in one sentence. This is giving me a struggle because and so I guess that goes back to communicating. I don't know if I'm really answering your question. But having the kid reach out to the teacher, right, is so important. That self-advocacy, because we use that as adults all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. When our electric bill is not right or whenever we have to work with some problem or whatever it is, we ourselves are our best advocates Mm -hmm. and our kids need that.
1: But sometimes they lack confidence. They do. And that's what I wanted to ask you. How can we teach them to gain that confidence, to go to the teacher and say, hey, look, I'm struggling with this or I need help with that. How can we teach them to be uh, their own self-advocate?
0: I think it's practice from even when they're little you know what, wherever you are, this is maybe a silly example, but I remember being at a a fast food restaurant and my child saying, there's no ketchup. And I had to say, that was probably before they had ketchup. Go to the counter and ask the lady. Mm -hmm. Go ask the lady for ketchup. And and the response is, can you do it for me? No, no. You get up and go. If you really want whatever it is, you have to go do it. Mm -hmm. And so even at five and six years old they can start practicing that kind of stuff right Right. and so that by the time they become um, elementary students or middle school students they feel a lot more confident asking those things Um, sometimes it's a carrot and stick method right i need you to talk to your teacher by the end of the day and if so you get this prize this as opposed to a consequence a negative consequence look i'll take you to get you know something that they like i'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of um, practicing with food and friends, because who doesn't want to sit down, right, and enjoy something that's delicious uh-huh. while they're doing something they might not totally like? It makes things
1: so much more pleasant and something to look forward to. How can parents incorporate that method of, of the incentive method that you just mentioned? Well,
0: one of the things we, you can do, for example, like I always get this question, like my child hates to read. He doesn't want to read his AR book or his whatever book, you name it, whatever it is. And I'll say, well, why don't you read with him? Or sometimes I say, do you read? And they're like, no. Okay, that's step one, right? you got to set the example. And you don't even have to like it. You just have to fake it. Just pretend you like it. One, you're going to have to sit down and read with him. And sometimes uh, what we do at our house is we, and my people always make fun of me. I I said, we always take a bag of Cheetos. We sit on the bed. We either do the audio book with the book or you read a page, I read a page. Uh And then... um, Eventually, what happens is the plot, right, becomes a little more intriguing. So that this, it's like time. For, oops, time for bed. I always try to stop reading right at a point that's it's kind of exciting. They're like, "Are we stopping now?" Yes, we are. And they enjoy it. Right. They enjoy spending time with you. Right. They're snacking, okay. Mm-hmm. And they're reading. And they're reading. Right. And so that all those feelings of bonding become associated with the activity of reading. It's not now something that's negative. Because when we send them to their room, go to your room for 15 minutes and read. I mean, that's a punishment for a lot of kids, right? It's very negative. And so that becomes associated with the activity of reading. We want to kind of change that mindset. And so we incorporate things like incentives, like, hey, if you finish your book, you know, and I see you're doing a good job, then I'll take you to the park on Saturday or whatever it is that your kid likes. Whatever makes them pushes the buttons that you want
1: them to do what they want to do. And how can parents incorporate this with very introverted kids? Because I know the extroverts, they'll probably jump out and do it. But the kids that are quiet and more to themselves, how can they they pull those things out of them? Or is it best just to let them just learn things through practice and through us being supportive?
0: I think if you're doing one-on-one with your kid, even an introverted kid, you'll get a lot more out of that than you would potentially in a group. So if I had an introverted kid, I probably would start off by asking. Like, I have worked with students um, that are not my own children, and we usually start off talking with something that's not related to the subject, like, what's your favorite snack? Or what what is a like. Once you find something what they like, they'll talk about that more readily than they would something they don't do well at, Mm -hmm. like reading. And so using that, right, I kind of use it as the bridge to get into, hey, what if um, we played basketball for 30 minutes and then I took you, um, we picked out a book, right, um, for you to read. So it kind of gets a little incentive going. I use a lot of external incentives. I know um, some people are not in favor of that. But I feel like it's probably the stepping stepping off into what's intrinsically motivating you, right? If I can get kids motivated over a little piece of candy, then they'll want to please me and come back to
1: – their activity they were doing prior to that. Excellent. That's right. That's great. Talk about maybe, I know you have years of experience, maybe think about two success stories. Maybe a child that did not want to get organized was totally against the planning system, but after a while, as the year went on, they began to become more efficient. Do you have maybe a student that you've worked with or your own child? I, I know you have... Tons of, probably tons of example, but one, one that really, really sticks out for you.
0: I think that the one that really, I had a student who was, um, very shy, very introverted and not necessarily on board with, um, being very organized. And it took a while to get started, but over time she was able to tell me how, uh, how much better she was at Gingar's, becoming more confident and talking to her teachers. And the feedback I got from mom, from her mother, was really nice. Um, The idea that thank you so much for doing this, that now she feels more comfortable. Because we do practice, like, hey, what would you say if I was? Um, you know, Ms. Boudreau, for example. How would you phrase it? What would you say? And we do a lot of role playing and practice that. So being able to do those things made her life a little easier. And we talk about that. We talk about if you struggle now, then when you get to high school, right, and college, you're going to be making those appointments with high school teachers and professors. And that really is the life skill we're reaching for right here. That's
1: really it. It's really what it's about. I think this is wonderful. All of the information you shared is just so, so helpful. It's so practical. If a parent wants to go and they want to read a little bit more about these tips and some things that they can do and maybe some websites that could help them become stronger students, what can you, you can offer? Give us some resources for well, our parents. You
0: know what? I was hoping you weren't. I want to say I put it at the top of my list when I sent you some resources. The Lafayette Public Library has an amazing selection of resources So many that I can't even name them all. Like, it's just, and I don't think people take advantage of that generally. I don't know if they even know it's out there. But um, it's, you know, funded by our own tax monies. It is, I mean, they do a great job. Just um, for readers alone, I tend to deal primarily with people who are struggling to read. They have something called Tumble Books, which is an audiobook collection. As a school, we purchase ours. But the whole parish has a Tumble Book subscription. And all you have to do is have a free Lafayette Public Library card and you can access it from your own computer at home Um, a lot of struggles a lot of kids struggle with uh, standardized testing they have leap and ge questions they have all the online encyclopedias like as the librarian we no longer have hard copies of encyclopedias everything we use is digital Mm -hmm. but those are paid subscriptions but you as a um as a parent in the home your child can access that 24 7 on any project or research that they're doing for a class absolutely free you know, along with other things, the kids always tell me, "Yeah, but you know, you can check out free movies and video games." Yes, yes, you can. Uh-huh. But they have all these digital resources. Louisiana um, Homework Louisiana, for one thing, which is offers free tutoring online. That's one, of, and they actually have a, a, a link on the Lafayette Parish Library site. We use a lot Quizlet, which is just um, it's free. You just go online to quiz.com, set up your account, but you can also search other people's. Resources there. So if somebody's already done a novel unit, you don't have to recreate it. It's already there for you. The one drawback for that is that it's not a lot of critical thinking. It's basically learning the basics, it's very foundational. But it's still a good place to start. And it is, um, again, no cost. Khan Academy, I know that the public schools sometimes use those. Um, It's a math uh, website, I believe. My own son uses it. I like doing it with him on the side, it's very fun, I think. But, you know, I'm a big
1: nerd. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's okay. That's bonding time with your son.
0: And the newest one, it's not new. Um, I picked it up at a a technology conference. Is Duolingo. It's an app that you can download on a computer or a phone, and it's for foreign language. And it's very cool, and it's a lot more engaging than... um, just looking through your French workbook uh-huh. because you earn and it, you earn um, little icons and badges and it tests your proficiency so you could see your growth. So if you were at 10% and you practice today, you might get to 15%. And so it's really a neat way to learn languages. I find kids are a lot more open to that than let's make some flashcards. I mean, those are very old school and for some kids that's what they want to do. But being able to learn on, with an app online with a phone, using their phones is always a plus Right, even if it's an educational thing. So those resources are wonderful. As parents, we need to take advantage of digital resources. We have digital natives, right? They grew up in this generation of kids who are all about coming in, Mm -hmm. already
1: using an iPad by the time they're four. Mm -hmm. So and Sonia, as a parent, if I have a student or I have a child that is struggling to become a better reader, give me three practical steps that we can use to help them become more proficient? One, choice. Probably gonna take them to
0: the bookstore or a library and let them pick out something they think they would like. That's gonna take a long time sometimes because kids, once they figure out what they like, they're probably good, but they need a lot of guidance in that. Two, um, audiobooks. Audiobooks are a great start for my weak readers they don't like to sound out. One, they're self-conscious if they're reading out loud. So one of the ways we increase oral reading fluency is with audiobooks. Some people say it's cheating. It's not cheating. It's so awesome. As the, and, the, and it's really nice if you can get somebody who does the different voices when you pick up the audiobook because it's very engaging for them. And oftentimes, they follow along with the book. You'll see that eventually they'll start to read faster than the audiobook. And then the audiobook becomes not necessary.
1: Wow, right? that's excellent.
0: And so um, those are probably the two biggest things uh-huh. choice, start off with audiobooks. And I usually sit with a kid um, who wants to start reading. We usually have food, a snack. If they come in after their lunch recess, I usually have something for them to snack on. That's always a plus. And I usually talk about what's going on in the story with them. So they enjoy, they feel very special. That's a special time, right, with a librarian. And uh, everybody else is off doing their own thing, but you get this special time. So if I had a kid at home, I'd be doing the same thing. It would be our time. You know, um, we'd have a snack. We'd have picked out a really good-looking covered book in the uh, – don't judge a book by its cover. All the kids do. You absolutely judge the book by the cover. And so um, that would probably be what I would suggest. You need, and it's time. It takes time.
1: Sonia, we thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you for all of your great tips and your information. And if anybody needs any additional resources, we will have them up on our website. And we just encourage you just to keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job.
0: Thank you very much. And thank you for having me
1: today. Thank you. Thanks for listening, parents. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, Parenting in a Podcast. Um, it's available on SoundCloud.